and welcome to The Low Tox Life. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and this is show number 80. This week, I have the wonderful functional dentist, Dr. Stephen Lynn, who's the author of The Dental Diet. We have a brilliant chat, and it was wonderful to connect to, to Stephen's work and to meet him uh, over our call and, and find out a bit more about uh, his ideas around dental health uh, and dispelling a few myths that uh, you need a mainstream toothpaste to protect you from dental decay. It's so much more about what you eat that is going to preserve and um, help you regain dental health if it's something that you feel like you've lost. It's a great chat and we'll hook into that in a minute, but there's just a couple of things I want to remind you of first. Number one is that our feature course for you guys this month is the Preconception Ninja course. We have nine interviews. It's $85 only. I am passionate about making information accessible to all. Uh, you know, As you know, we have this beautiful free podcast. We have a whole bunch of free resources on the site and all of our courses are under $200 uh, because I don't want the health and health goals to be attained by just a small group of wealthy people. I'm really really one of my core values in the low-tox life business is that everyone can reach a level of support that's going to help them kick some goals in in your life so $85 you can start at any time it's not a launched product you can start today you can start next month but I do urge you if you are thinking about babies if you found babies a little tricky even if you're solo and undergoing IVF, whatever your situation is as you head towards conception or trying to conceive, uh, there's nothing wrong with making sure you've left no stone unturned and you're really as healthy, fighting fit uh, as you can be, have done some of the key tests that really help move the needle if you've been finding things tricky or you haven't uh, haven't expected it to go for quite this long before conceiving whatever your picture is I really think if you're thinking about babies either number one or subsequent children um, and you're going it again then this course is just brilliant so many brilliant practitioners interviewed on various topics such as nutrition stress learning to feel more empowered having chats with your doctor or practitioner around test results uh, and so on and so forth, so many things. So I've got the um, show notes today have the link straight to the um, page with all the information and how to sign up, or you can just jump onto lowtoxlife.com and Preconception Ninja is one of the e-courses right there on the homepage if you want to click through that way. But it's a great course, so if you can think of anyone out there in your friendship circle who is at that stage of life, I would so appreciate it if you shared with them because I'm really proud of what we've achieved, myself and uh, my wonderful naturopath who's here on staff on the team, Steph Hinton. Um, and uh, and it's just... it's it's just beautiful. It really sets the right tone that we should all be aiming for in this incredible journey that we get to take so many of us towards having a child. Um, if that's what we want, of course, no one needs to, but, um, but this course is really there for people who are at that stage in life and thinking about it quite actively. So get in there, get involved. Um, uh, there's, it's never too late to start preparing for conception to be as healthy and wonderful as it possibly can be. Um, also you still have 15% off at Emporio Organico with the gut health, uh, code. And I've got all those details in the show notes as well. If you just want to click through some of the products that I use that I'm talking about, it's on the organic three supplement range, the Rosita's cod liver oil, which if you're a fish oil person, you need to take fish oil 
100% that is like one of the top ones available around the world. Um, and then the vital proteins range for making everything from jellies to marshmallow and all those good things. If you are using the one that sets uh, or gummies as well, if you're a bit of a fan of those or some of the ones that are used in smoothies as a protein powder situation. Um, it's a wonderfully generous offer for products that are often quite expensive. So if you need to stock up, if these are things that you use often, make the most of the offer. Now I'm going to hook straight into my chat with Stephen now, brilliant dentist, wonderful to bring him, uh, bring you his wonderful new book, The Dental Diet. Enjoy the show. Hello, Stephen. How are you? Hey, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you on the show. Uh, you you piqued my interest when I came across your work online uh, and uh, sort of seeing a, another dentist, my wonderful dentist, Ron Early, who's been on the show a couple of times now, um, and, uh, and seeing another dentist start to talk uh, really specifically about functional dentistry and your incredible book, The Dental Diet. I was like, ooh, that's interesting. Looked into that and thought, this is so low-tox. So I had to have you on the show. And, uh, and I just thought I would start by, because, you know, obviously you can't go to a functional dentistry university degree kind of situation yet. Um, and the, it's more that there are supplementary courses if that's something you want to delve into and people meet up and talk about functional dentistry. But I'd love to see how your journey went through doing dentistry, um, into thinking, actually, there's more than this and I want to explore functional dentistry. How did that evolve for you? Yeah, that, that's a really great question, Alex. And, you know, it really isn't a linear path either. It mm. kind of, uh, you know, it was, a, it was basically started, you know, after coming out of dental school, you know, with, with all these skills to, you know, we can fix, you know, all kinds of dental diseases and going out into the world. And, you know, it's, it's a very challenging and uh, an exciting skill set uh, and profession, actually, dentistry. But, it does start to become repetitive, and so what I found was that I could fix things, but I wasn't really able to address why they were happening in the first place. Mm. And so that was really kind of bothering me in a way, and I started to, you know, every day I was going to work and feeling a little bit more of this feeling that I wasn't really addressing what I wanted to in terms of, um, you know, qu patient questions. Uh, you know, why Why is my gum disease progressing when I'm brushing as hard as I can? Why, am I, why do my kids need braces? And that was the big one that was playing on my mind, mm. that there really isn't any answer, you know, in conventional textbooks as to why, you know, besides the genetic argument, which really hasn't played out in the scientific literature. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was really playing on me. And I actually took some time away from work. I actually went traveling through Europe and I was in a um, – I was in Istanbul, Turkey, and uh, in a hostel there, and there was a shared reading shelf, and I picked up a book called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration by yeah. Western Asia. Such a turning point for so many of us, that book. It was an absolute turning point. And the, the, the thing is, too, is there was, you know, dentists are very slow reactors. I was a slow turning point for me because I looked at it, and you know, I saw this dentist from the 30s you know, talking about how food and um, you know, his theory that you know, cultures that eat traditional diets don't get the problems he was seeing back in Cleveland, Ohio, mm. when all around the world had 15,000 photographs. I looked at it and I was like, ah, you know, it's got to be outdated. You know, I, I, I did seven years of tertiary education, two degrees, and I'd not heard of this guy. So I was like, well, you know, I put it in my bag and left it. But 
I can came back to it years later and it 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 kind of bothered me again. I looked at those photos and I looked at his work and I, was, I, I realized I didn't understand it. Mm. And that was the opening point to kind of looking a bit wider from what I was taught uh, as a dentist and, and realizing actually there's a lot of, um, you know, scientific and uh, you know, kind of mixed and merged uh, protocols with functional medicine mm. in the oral health that is out there. And, th- and this stuff is, is you know, there – and we've actually known about it for decades now, but it's just very hidden. And so this whole functional dental model, my book, The Dental Diet, is based on the nutritional model. Yeah. And then we talk about how to build that functional model into into dental practice, which is really what has to happen. And functional medicine, you know, I've spoken to a lot of functional – I just got back from the US speaking to a lot of functional medicine practitioners. It is, it's a little bit lost without the dental perspective. Mm. Um and so this is, I think, the last, hopefully the last piece of the puzzle that's going to come together. Yeah, nice. And I think for anyone who hasn't heard of the um, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration book, it's by the wonderful Dr. Weston A. Price, and he travelled the world for a decade basically looking at Indigenous and uh, cultures and cultures who hadn't been hit by the Industrial Revolution and the food that came with that Industrial Revolution, the first sort of processed flours and sugars and um, the bleaching and things like that that started to happen to our foods um, and finally pieced together that the real difference between the people who had um, all this disease in the mouth and decay and the people in the um, untouched uh, cultures who were still eating their traditional foods was the fact that they were still eating their traditional foods. And what I love especially is that that was a really massive variety of foods. And we're always told to eat one, only one little way, but in traditional cultures there were many ways. And um, as long as it was whole, unprocessed, you know, and and um, and that kind of a thing, then then we were much less uh, likely to experience tooth decay. So it's a, it's an awesome book, and I'll pop it in the show notes for anyone who hasn't come across it yet. So Stephen, I want to um, just hook straight into some facts. Something that I read um, in your work is that a whopping eighty five percent of people who have heart attacks have gum disease. Oh my gosh! Talk us through potentially what's at play there. Yeah, the um, the link between gum disease and heart attacks has kind of been, um, you know, kind of been researched now for decades. We've kind of known there's a relationship there. Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly, you know, the, the causation um, line, and that's been one. Of, I think this has been one of the big problems with the oral systemic link and the mouth body connection is that the studies, you know, it's so hard to draw a causative link, yeah. you know, between you know the the percentage that you're going to have. Um, uh, a heart attack when when you when you have gum disease, but we know people that do have heart attacks have a very high proportion of gum disease, and so this this is something that we we really need to kind of put into perspective. And like what I think functional dentistry now teaches us is that when we understand the principles of why people get gum disease, those those same principles dictate why people have heart attacks, and and in, we really try and break down firstly nutritionally why people get gum disease because that's not very well um, you know, described by uh, you know, one, nutritional dietary guidelines, but two, even uh, the dental profession hasn't well defined the nutritional model of gum disease because if we think about it, gum disease is a problem with in the mouth where you have your oral bacteria, the immune system, uh, calcium metabolism. It is basically an, an autoimmune problem mm. to cold 
the collagen in the gums. That's what it is. It eats away at the periodontium. Mm-hmm. And so we know that uh, autoimmune conditions are linked to the gut. And so the immune system, where 80% in the gut uh, uh, is is housed, uh, when you have an incorrect interface with bugs and the gut lining um, in, in the digestive system, you eventually you can get autoimmune problems. Mm. So gut disease signals a gut problem. And, and so that's something that we, you know, this is the principles of functional medicine now. And then we can start to see, we know now the links between the microbiome and the heart, sugar and the heart. So uh, type 2 diabetes, we know that there's a, a connection between uh, heart sorry, gum disease and type 2 diabetes in two ways that you get worse gum disease uh, if you have um, insulin resistance and vice versa. So mm. they, they have two ways to play. And so that's all connected to the gut as well. And, yet, and we know the connection and the risk of heart disease with type 2 diabetes. And so it's the same condition. That and is yet, so interesting. Keep going, yeah? Yeah, so people, like we, we're trying to pull out, you know, the end stage of, you know, oh, people have heart attacks when they're, well, it's the same problem, right? If we just yeah. understand what the body's doing. And the mouth gives us an amazingly simple um, platform to be able to understand that. And then you just use the evidence from there to kind of play it out. And, you know, we know it all already. We've just got to put it logically in a way. So that's why the gum disease heart link has been kind of there but not well understood because it's kind of been a bridge too far. But when you, you use these principles, it, it, it makes so much sense. Mm. And it's so interesting. Uh, I'm coming through um... – treatment of SIRS, a chronic inflammatory response from a water damage building that we lived in for years that took a while to diagnose. And, um, and like when the inflammation really kicked up a notch, we'd just had a super, super wet winter and I'd had a general anesthetic for an operation. So my body was really trying to detox a whole bunch of stuff and it just didn't work. And I had an inflammation cascade. One of the things that happened was my insulin just went nutso. And I look like the, I had, um, um, uh, the the kind of profile and the fasting glucose test that I did with the where you drink the sugary drink and you do the one hour two hour um, read was like nothing I had ever had you know I've never had blood sugar issues I eat really beautifully and uh, do all the right things and and yet my body was just going into this inflammation cascade and insulin didn't cope well. And in that time, my gums started bleeding and I just started having really inflamed gums. And I was like, but my teeth are great and I'm flossing and I'm brushing and I'm doing all the right things. And, you know, it was really hard because it was a time where I just couldn't control anything that was happening. But it's so interesting that you just made that insulin connection because of all the times in my life where I felt like my gums were going haywire, it was at that time. So heart attacks diabetes, gum disease, and, and it, is it really just about starting to look at the big picture and trying to get consensus in the medical profession around the fact that these are linked and what we need to be telling patients? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like type 2 diabetes is a great example of this because, you know, the the way people are conventionally treated for type 2 diabetes, you know, they basically measure the blood sugar and then, you know, you put on a um, – on, on a, uh, a medication to manage your insulin resistance. And so that doesn't take into any account as to why it's happening in the first place. You've just described a great kind of pathway as to, you know, you had this big toxin load, mm. your microbiome and your immune system have this huge kind of um, 
uh, effort to try and you know remove this from the body, there there might have been some imbalance. But then, of course, because your your microbiota also manage your metabolism mm. insulin resistance, you had um, your your insulin sensitivity changed, yeah. and so that makes sense. And then all of a sudden, the cascade is going to your immune system, mm-hmm. and it, it just you know once you understand it like that, it's it's so simple, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's fascinating when you start piecing things together and, and I can't, um, like it's never a surprise anymore that this is all about everybody just needing to think bigger picture and how everything's linked. And, um, you know, the mouth is a window into the rest of the body. It's not a separate thing that we treat completely separately. Um, and so to that end, something else that a lot of people assume is that crooked teeth and narrow face must be a genetic thing. Oh, yeah, my, my parents didn't have room for their teeth, really crowded mouth, so that's why I've got a really crowded mouth. But could that not be a hereditary lifestyle nutrient situation? Well, could that not be? Let's reframe that as saying it definitely isn't. And uh-huh. so this, was, this is what price... Uh, was talking about. So once I looked at Price's work and began to see that there were things I weren't understanding, he was talking about things well beyond his time. And this is why mm. his work was so misunderstood in that he took these 15,000 photographs for an example and what he would do is he would take, say, four photographs of a group of people in a certain population that ate traditional foods and he would say, look at these facial proportions. He would show their mouth open. You would see this huge wide palate you would see 32 human teeth with wisdom teeth with space behind them, mm. no tooth decay, no crooked teeth, and these lovely wide faces. So you would have huge cheekbones and jawbones that were – and all he did was take a photo and you know, let's say there's a thousand words um, you know, for a, a picture and this is exactly what he's doing. But he wasn't describing in those sense. But he showed that malocclusion occurs in one generation. Explain to us what that is for the people who don't know what that is. Sure. So malocclusion is crooked teeth. Mm, so okay. when you have a, a misalignment of the dental arch, and so when the, the teeth don't bite together, we, in the dental industry, we call it a malocclusion or crooked teeth. That's why kids get braces. We'll mm-hmm. class it. And so what we do, and this is what I was doing, I was, I was saying, well, that's a malocclusion. That's a mal- Every kid has malocclusion today. Yeah. And we would class it, and we would, we would kind of categorize what treatment options they have. That's mm-hmm. all we do. No one gets to the root cause of it. And Kids today, I don't see any kids with the capability to grow 32 teeth, including their wisdom teeth with space behind them anymore. Jaws don't grow like that. Wow. And so a child that has that needs braces at 10 to 12, it's the same problem as a young adolescent that needs their wisdom teeth out in their, in their early 20s because mm-hmm. it's, the jaw hasn't grown. And mm-hmm. so what Price was showing is that when you change your food, your jaws don't grow. When your jaws aren't developed, teeth don't fit. Teeth are just a symptom of craniofacial development. Mm. And so that has been inequivocally demonstrated by anthropologists as showing up since the Industrial Revolution in one generation once we change food. So basically the orthodontia epidemic we're in now is caused by diet and we've completely missed it. We've, We've seen it as a problem we need to fix with kind of metal wires and brackets but yeah. it, it, it is one of the most important health problems that parents, that even if you didn't develop properly, there are ways to kind of understand it. And one thing that I never learned is that, so a cro- crooked upper smile, mm-hmm. uh, that your upper teeth sit in the maxilla bone, mm-hmm. which is your upper jawbone. 
Now, when, the, when you have a crooked upper smile, it means that the maxilla bone is deformed or high or narrow. And what happens then is that your nasal airway is also deformed. So you lose, by definition, hmm. volume in the nasal airway. And so we now are a population of people that, that don't have uh, airway structures that are signaled by nice wide smiles. So at the front, we have nice straight white teeth. At the back, when you look at the skull, you'll see a nice wide airway. We've completely reversed that. Wow. So is that why there's like this massive rise in like kids needing to get their adenoids out and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's a, that's a huge link to it. And this, so this is a really great arm of functional dentistry and this is my functional orthodontics. So what happens is that there's a functional component to craniofacial growth. So when a kid, for instance, if we can get them to breathe through their nose, fun, uh, uh, posture their tongue the right way, so with their tongue to the roof of the mouth, mm-hmm. with their lips closed, their jaws grow naturally. So teeth will sometimes straighten naturally when we, when we uh, correct these things. Now, adenoids and tonsils, that's, a, that's a, um, uh, started in the gut. Mm-hmm. So a kid that's eating too much sugar, that's not eating enough fiber, that's low on vitamin D, they'll present with mucus hanging out of their nose, they will have uh, inflamed adenoids and tonsils to the point usually you look down their throat and you, can, you wonder how they breathe at all. Mm. And their mouth, and mouth breathing is a survival response because mm. your body is, has to take the next breath. That's the first thing it does. And then, so these kids will have skinny faces, they'll have a high palate, they'll have a tongue hanging out of their mouth, they'll, they'll be mouth breathing all the time because their, their nose is clogged up and they'll have huge adenoids and tonsils all the same problem it's a functional component but it's also an immune response uh to eating the wrong food right so it's literally a nutrient deficiency literally well yeah like so the first thing there and this is what price is talking about right mm. he his whole theory was that well when people eat the right way you have nice strong immune systems you don't get tuberculosis which that was the only condition he was dealing with now we deal with everything mm. <laughs> um, but he's basically saying people were stronger right yeah. yeah but he says and there was three nutrients vitamin a vitamin d vitamin k2 which mm. was a huge confusion with k2 of um, since after he died but i think we'll get into that a bit later yeah. um, but vitamin d uh, is a, is intimately connected to the immune system mm. so the gut, we know all the literature how vitamin D connects the gut. We know that vitamin D also directs the osteoimmune system, the immune system inside your teeth. So mm. you, you can wow. create immunity to tooth decay. Yeah, that's that's there. We know that. Odontoblasts, they come from the stem cells from your bone marrow. Wow. And so this is all by vitamin D. And Ooh, so, love a good nerd out. <laughs> yeah, it, it's crazy. So I was taught that in dental school, that we know that dentine can repair itself mm-hmm. with odontoblasts. So the stem cells in your bones, in your bone marrow, either become uh, skeletal making cells, teeth making cells, which are the odontoblasts, and there are some different ones as well, or they become your immune system, mm. and it's all directed at a primary level. So getting back to record by vitamin D, vitamin D is one of the most important, uh, and so if you're not at that base level, which every you, know, you test kids now for vitamin D, you test parents for vitamin, everyone's low on vitamin D, even mm. here in Australia. Are you happy and, with what the normal range is? In terms no, of the labs? No. So you would see no. it needing to be at the upper level of the normal range, if not above? or Yeah, I would. I generally say, you know, between 100 to 125. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's even literature up to, you know, 150 to 200 is fine. But I say generally I, I aim, I get people to aim at 125. That's 
and everyone's different as well. You know, we have racial and genetic differences that uh, kind of dictate how uh, your body or how much vitamin D your body needs. So it's not the same for everyone, but I, I think we, at a general um, uh, measure, we, we go a bit low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, because actually I just had my um, check-in round of blood tests and um, – and uh, just went to a, a regular doc to um, to pick them up the other day, and I think I was 85, so <laughs> I'm going to be heading out to the sun this lunchtime. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, they said no, vitamin D is perfect. And I was like, and I, I had an inkling at the time, and I thought, uh, you know, thank God I'm interviewing a whole bunch of doctors this week. I'm going to ask a whole bunch of people what they think. So because uh, for me that felt a little bit low, so that's interesting. Mm. So just on that, there was a study last year that showed that uh, most of the data, because there's so many different uh, reference points for vitamin D, but there was one study that showed that most of the data that some of the the major medical associations base their vitamin D references on was vastly understated, and that's almost a 25%. um, So what they'll recommend for the amount of vitamin D you need, for instance, to lift your vitamin, uh, your D3 serum levels up, is much lower. So there's a whole misconception with vitamin D and people should definitely be aware of it. Yeah, cool. Okay. Um, now, what – wow. So you briefly touched on braces before, but I just want to come back to that before we move on uh, because we kind of see it in our culture as a rite of passage for teens or tweens really. It's just part and parcel of growing up. And is everything, I guess, that we've just talked about basically what's proving that that's actually a massive cultural problem and we need to shift the fact that we think that that's normal and think about why it's being caused in the first place? Exactly. Yeah. You couldn't have summarized that any better. And the thing is that braces are addressing a, the symptoms mm. of a growth problem. Yeah. And so braces are fine. You know, we can use them for a cosmetic benefit at the end, but First of all, we need to make sure a child is breathing right. We need to make sure they're functioning right myofunctionally with their tongue, mouth, and lips. They need, we need to make sure their tonsils and adenoids and immune system is fine. And we need to make sure they're sleeping fine as well because people that don't have airways that are patent, they go through a, a very detailed, uh, well, a, a very broad range of sleep issues that in, in kids especially is linking to uh, developmental issues. So we now have 10% of kids on ADHD medications. Mm -hmm. A very high proportion of them have sleep disorders, and they're not breathing right. Mm -hmm. So they're not sending oxygen to their brain. We know the mechanisms of that now. That's well defined from Stanford in uh, in the 90s, and and that's since played out. And so we know the consequences of of not breathing right. We know the consequences of why it's, uh, it's a draw and airway problem. Now we need to kind of make sure that we're not letting our kids go down that road. Yeah. And then sort of a decade later, we all start talking about wisdom teeth and it seems like that's another rite of passage, right? Oh, yeah, I had my wisdom teeth out last night. And, you know, it just seems like everyone does it. And my dentist, Ron, always is always marvelling at the fact that I have all 32 teeth and a couple of gaps. <laughs> you just think that that's the strangest thing to see in in this day and age. Um, so I'm very grateful to my mum for feeding me lots of good things. Obviously, that worked out. Um, but is like, is surgery the only fix on the wisdom teeth front or is that something we can correct? Well, there's, yeah, you know, once the, you know, so we go through certain stages of jaw growth, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, after 12, 
um, you know, you have the adult dentition, the, the 28 adult teeth up to second mold. And then generally you go through that period, you know, that next 10 years or eight to seven to 10 years, depending um, on the, the jaw kind of growing outwards and, and in thickness. And so all of that requires nutrients, right? So, so your body is constantly seeing what, um, what levels, you know, it, it has to grow. It's constantly directed by insulin, like growth factor hormones, testosterone. That's all crucial in jaw growth. So that all directs jaw growth. Um, and diet is the fundamental way that you kind of, um, you know, maintain that and make sure that's good going forward. But so for impacted wisdom teeth, there are ways, there are, this, this is very, very kind of, um, new, and I've actually got a, there was a, a seminar I attended in the US. There is one dentist, or he's probably an orthodontist by trade, but what he does is he uprights wisdom teeth. So he'll actually correct uh, you, so you can correct and grow the jaw even in adulthood. Wow. So this is, yeah, so, so you can expand an adult's palate mm-hmm. uh, and often correct a lot of sleep issues and, and a lot of deep digestive issues and even the eyes will change and the whole craniofacial system will just, just by expanding the palate. And so it's not impossible. Once we reach adulthood, there, we've set, you know, the, we, we can't intervene as much in kids you know, we can, we can get them to grow almost like by clicking the fingers. Mm. Um, but so it's possible, though, that to have a good analysis on the, the jaw and face, you know, that we, for wisdom teeth, we may in the future, this is very, very new, um, just be looking at how to grow that and upright the, so it gets enough space. Yeah, cool. Um, that is very cool. And is anyone doing that here? Is that something that someone in Australia can get done or does one have to be in the US to seek out a, a doctor doing that? I would say that that's not available yeah. yet. I, I know people – um, there's a very few amount of cases. I know. I think the doctor was in um, Singapore uh-huh. that was – and in his day, all he does – I'm actually trying to seek him out so, so we can – I'm trying to get <laughs> Um, but so he's a, uh, yeah, so he spends his whole day upgrading wisdom teeth. Wow. Because pe- so many people need it done, I bet. Well, everyone needs it yeah. done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So stay tuned on that, depending on where you are in the world as to how you can access that, because that, that sounds like it just corrects so much if, you know, it gives you that extra little chance to work on things, even when you're an adult. It's amazing. Cause well, a lot interesting- of, sorry, go for it. So I was going to say, yeah, so this, the studies show that so for every tooth you lose, you lose a certain volume of airway. So so that definitely includes your wisdom teeth because the back of your mandible there supports your oropharynx and there's crucial um, airway space there that you need to breathe and, and sleep moving forward. But they've even had some studies that show that people with that have their wisdom teeth removed may have an increased risk of sporting concussions. And so that may speak to the stability of the cranial the, connection to the spine, the posture, and the jaw because you remove that, um, that stability because the, the jaw should be growing in that transverse and width and, and it's, it's a, you know, almost a four-dimensional kind of um, plane that it's growing on. Yeah. And so when you lose that stability with the skull, you're, you may lose um, the, you know, the ability to, to take impacts as well. So that's really interesting. Mm, super interesting. And I'd imagine like, so is what's happening essentially you're giving your mouth permission to close in on the remaining teeth, like to, to narrow to the, the limits of the dimensions that you now have. Well, do you mean to like once, it, like if you get wisdom teeth out, 
does that literally then create a narrowing situation because you've got like I, I don't know how, whether I'm explaining it right. Maybe there's so, nothing yeah. to it. Yeah, I get what you're saying. There. Yeah, so the bone, so the teeth there, so teeth will actually stimulate bone to kind of to to maintain and stay around them if they're healthy. Mm. Uh, and so when you remove the tooth, all of those because there's a ligament in, in the tooth that actually sends these signals. And so when you remove the tooth, the the signal to keep that bone leaves. And so what you do is is the spot that the tooth. If you've had a tooth extracted, mm. you'll notice kind of shrinks. And so mm, the bone that's what I was shrinks. trying to get at. Okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. So you lose that bone maintenance message and then so that corner of the jaw there just shrinks in. Wow. So is this then contributing to lots of people starting to become snorers? Absolutely. That's exactly the next step because when you sleep, all the muscles in your face and airway relax. Mm. And then so what's supposed to happen is that you should have because you, uh, your daytime habits and your posture and your breathing habits you know, kind of translate to what happens at night. And mm-hmm. so if you have a craniofacial stru- structure and airway that you, you barely breathe well through the day and those physiological behaviors you know, continue, um, what happens is that when you go to sleep, that vibration, that noise you hear from snoring is that. It's the airway vi- vibrating. So no one should really snore. You know, there's, there is benign snoring, mm-hmm. but... Really, we should have nice, quiet, slow breathing mm. all the time. So that's how you deliver oxygen. So what happens is that people um, go down this road of degeneration is that when you're sleeping, uh, your th- that vibration can actually uh, cause uh, pauses. And so what that's what sleep apnea is, when you actually pause for up to yeah. 10 to 20 seconds. Yeah. And so, But there's actually intermediate... Um, conditions called upper airway resistance syndrome. And so for people that grind their teeth, for instance, grinding your teeth is is due to your brain getting a message from pressure sensors in your airway that there's a choking response. So a lot of people that grind their teeth, it's actually an airway issue. And so they're going through sleep levels where they're, they're going through sympathetic um, kind of... Uh, Fight or flight in their sleep. Yeah. yeah. Simulation. Wow. And, uh, and fight or, exactly fight or flight, they're not going into deep REM levels of sleep. The brain isn't sleeping at all. You, and then you're waking up feeling um, terrible, tired, your digestive system doesn't work, you have cold hands and feet, you grind your teeth. Mm. And so the first signs are, are, is in the mouth where you do have those kind of teeth grinding, you have cheek biting, but it's all a craniofacial issue. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, and so like when you're a full-blown adult and if you're snoring – um, do you believe in the the mouth taping stuff? Yeah, the um, so the the, the premise there is that you you, ha- you need to get to nasal breathing, mm. and the reason is, is that the the nasal sinuses release nitric oxide. Yeah, and so deep nasal breathing is the way that you deliver oxygen. Otherwise, you get this cold air that doesn't uh, get very effective oxygen perfusion at all. Mm. So sealing the mouth. And so there's lots of ways to do this. Not everyone can mouth tape, but there are ways to, um, to kind of retrain it. So my functional therapy helps you to retrain. Some people, mouth taping helps. And so what I kind of suggest first is that you, you – um, I mean, first of all, you need to understand if sleep is an issue, which it is nearly for everyone. Mm. Um, but then, So you can actually you know, maybe spend an hour in a day with your mouth taped just to get, to get used to the breathing pattern because a lot of people kind of feel a bit – uh, claustrophobic or you know about the idea of mouth taping yeah uh, 
And then so it's, it's actually – and with kids, for instance, we need to kind of take them through a guided uh, process to actually get them breathing through the nose comfortably. And then mm-hmm. so once you – and sometimes it does involve working with an ENT because if there's a nasal restriction or a deviated septum, there can be a problem with them breathing through the nose. But um, usually behavioral – uh, reprogramming helps that mm. so that's part of it taping or even even just a chin strap or uh, you know something that helps you keep that uh, that lip seal lip mm. seal really through the night is you'll you'll wake up feeling like you've had 10 coffees because mm. your brain is, <laughs> <laughs> because yeah you've been feeding oxygen to all those neural cells and your blood brain barrier is operating as it is it's cleaning up like you're basically going through, you know, throwing in all that cerebrospinal fluid and cleaning out all that junk that you build up through the day, mm. which you don't do unless you breathe right when you sleep. Yeah. And um, and when uh, we were seeing if my son was able to have his mouth taped, we just did like a little oxygen test, you know, that thing that you hook onto the finger and get them to breathe through their nose for a bit. Um, yeah. It's just a nice little safety kind of, yep, they're good to mouth tape. And um, and it's definitely something to to um, explore if you've got a a, a mouth breather, because um, I, I just I'm such a believer in that nose breathing really is just a gift um, for so many reasons that you've just explained. Um, now we've talked about a lot of things, but I want to make sure we leave time to talk about this book. And I'm sure there are a lot of people actually wanting some details on what is the best diet for teeth, given, um, the dental diet is the book we're talking about. So, yeah. um, where should we start? Do you want to start sort of sharing why you were called to write the book? Yeah. Well, I mean, like the, the thing is, is that I saw Western Air Price's work and that, uh, the messages that that he had and, you know, we compare them to dietary guidelines today and, you know, things like the paleo diet and the, and the ketogenic diet and all these other kind of, um, you know, dietary moves. There's so much confusing information out there. Mm-hmm. I think that the way we, we need to eat really is modeled in the mouth. We yeah. can understand it quite simply. And so there's so much science and information that kind of plugs prices work back in. And so there, there are food principles that we can make sure that we're balancing uh, the oral environment, we're getting a kid to chew. We get we, we are chewing ourselves to kind of um, make sure we're not getting TNJ issues. We are breathing. TNJ, right. we, for people who don't know? Yeah, so temporomandibular joint disorders. So if you, <laughs> okay, yeah. we are not Your, dentists. Go into <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Sorry. It's yeah. okay. So actually, it's, it's very common. So if you have headaches or you have um, you have kind of jaw pain or like neck stiffness or teeth grinding, that generally comes into category of temporomandibular uh, joint disorder gotcha. or TMD. Okay. Yeah. So that's what. Um, and so the, the, it's all a, a growth problem. But so if you have that, then using your jaw right as a start is a nutrient to you. It's like a musculoskeletal system, like going to the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one principle. But then the nutrients are really important. So fat-soluble vitamins, this is what we basically learn about in the dental diet, are the key nutrients. And so the foods that are rich in them, they, you don't get them by accident. You really have to think about which foods you're eating uh, if you're going to get enough fat-soluble vitamins. That sourcing is, is uh, key. They do come from um, uh, am, animal products. And so the reason there is that so vitamin A, uh, beta-carotene is, is in vegetables and colorful um, certain colorful vegetables, that needs to be converted in your body. Your body will only convert a certain amount to the active form retinol mm-hmm. and that 
happens across all the fat soluble vitamins. So understanding this is crucial mm. for healthy teeth, healthy jaw, healthy immune system, your gut, your brain. And that's what we learn how to reintegrate fat soluble vitamins, how you absorb fat soluble vitamins as well. So that the gut and so your blood cholesterol. And so your blood cholesterol actually carry fat soluble nutrients around your body. Mm. So if you don't have the a healthy microbiome, if you don't have the, the right fats in your diet, which we go through exactly, and we get, you know, there's a 40-day meal plan there to reintroduce ourselves to the fats that your body are designed to have. And unfortunately, we eat a lot of refined vegetable oils today, which is very harmful for, uh, for this system because it doesn't recognize how to absorb and how to use and, and send these nutrients around. Yeah, I mean, the body's eating information at the end of the day, and we are designed to eat a certain form of information and we're giving it misinformation. And that's, uh, for me, that's as basic as it needs to be explained why things are going haywire in so many cases. Yeah, I love, I love that, um, you know, that analogy. And so it, we, we do, frame, I, I think we have a lot of information on what to re- remove. Uh, mm. People are, let, you know, at, at a general kind of view, we, you know, we are, people know that you know, sugar, refined flours and, and carbohydrates and vegetable oils, probably a bit lesser known, you know, aren't good for us and will create this inflammation. But I've really tried to frame that, you know, when you sit down, you look at a meal, if you know that it contains foods that has those crucial sacred nutrients, then you're feeding yourself the way you need to. And so you need to think like that. Otherwise, you, you're not giving your body what it needs. Mm. And have you been able to find a way that one can do that as a vegetarian or vegan out of curiosity? Vegetarians are usually okay because they can have eggs and dairy mm-hmm. um, if you if you tolerate dairy. But eggs, um, so that uh, and vegans need to supplement. Yeah. And so okay. even 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 vegetarians, they probably should monitor their de- and and supplement. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very least, I would be getting lots of sun. Um, so nothing against, but you know the, these nutrients. For instance, um, D two from mushrooms that can compete in level, and you you will get a very small amount of vitamin D from uh, vegetable. Uh, sources, sources but yeah. vitamin k1 which is the which is the key activator x from western air prices book mm. uh, that comes from your kind of green collar um collard greens and so it's that filiquinone the um uh the the nutrient that that's activated by um U, uv light so in green grass so when cows eat green grass mm. they'll actually convert that filiquinone that vitamin k1 to k2 and mm. K2 is a different nutrient. And that's what Price wrote about, right? Yeah, in, in, yeah Activator so, X, exactly. Activate, exactly. And we didn't know that until 2007. Um, and Which is crazy was, because he knew that <laughs> almost a 100 well, years ago. Yeah, the, but the funny thing too is that he, he didn't identify what it was. Yeah, yeah. So he wrote Activator X, yeah, but he knew it was there. He's like, this thing's really important. We need this. With A and D, it works together, and we now know the physiology of K2. Mm. There's different types of K2. So, menaquinone 4 is the type of K2 that is, comes from animal products, and that's, there's a bit of a different um, physiology in the body with it. Your body absorbs it very quickly. You get it from animal products. So, uh, vegans will not get any MK4 from their diet. They'll convert a small amount from K1, mm-hmm. which is the green grass, the green spinaches and, um, and uh, healthy green vegetables, and they'll if you have fermented foods and bacterial uh, products, so they'll get some of the menaquinone 7, which is vitamin K2, MK7. Mm-hmm. Now, those two will convert to MK4 in the liver. So this is 
this is why we probably need we, we do need some um, amount of MK4 in the diet because mm-hmm. that's what our, our digestive system has kind of evolved to take but the physiology if you don't get it that's what results in you know when we don't um, have immunity to tooth decay our jaws don't grow and so forth so forth yeah and, and like that one of the huge issues for me in terms of the importance of the k2 um, vitamin is the fact that it's a mineral transporter like all the other minerals that we're eating um, it helps them get to where they need to go to make our strong teeth and bones absolutely that's a, that this is a key thing it works in tandem with dna too so d helps you to absorb the, the minerals. So without D, you don't absorb calcium. You know, only 15% goes into you. Mm. But then K2 activates the proteins, mm. osteocalcin, yes. which is the protein that carries. So it's, it's like a little kind of worm that has little receptors on it. And then when you have K2, it activates it, and those receptors light up, and it carries calcium with it mm. into your bones and teeth. If you mm. don't have K2, that doesn't happen. Mm. And, and the other one is matrix GLA protein. And that one goes around your soft tissues. And so your arteries, your, your veins, and all of these where calcium shouldn't be, and it picks it up and it takes it out. Now, mm. one, of the, one of the best uh, measures we, we are moving to now for uh, cardiovascular health is coronary calcium score. And mm. so that's where... That's, that's great. That's where, yeah, well, the, it, it's an invasive test because they actually have to test. What they do is they test the amount of calcium building up in your artery right but the, okay, yeah. the reason why it's building up in your artery yeah. is because you don't have enough k2 yeah and one of the best tests is you know when um you go to the dentist and they clean that painful bit behind your teeth um and your lower front teeth we get that build up yes so calculus build up mm. it, dental plaque shouldn't be this thick um plaque on uh sorry caked on uh calcified plaque which is what calculus is or tartar and so if you have tartar buildup on those lower front teeth, you can run your uh, tongue or finger along there. That's a sign perhaps that your body isn't managing calcium. You might need more K2. Ah, what a great tip. It's not just about bad brushing. Yeah, brushing is very superficial. Brushing's, you know, I like to say, you know, if you've got a car problem, you don't take it to the car wash, right? Yeah. You've you got to get under the bonnet. But like, so brushing and flossing has a role. But let's understand the body for what it is. And, you know, when you really kind of contextualize it, people didn't brush for, you know, we've only been brushing the last few decades, really. And, you know, it, the processes that are happening really are you need to feed your body right, you need to balance the microbiome, all the probiotic bacteria protect your, your, um, your teeth and gums from disease. We know this. Mm. And if you don't replenish those uh those stocks and you don't feed the right nutrients that's how you get dental disease yes so that's that's a great way to explain it love it um so if we had to think about because i don't want you to obviously divulge everything in the book i really think this is a book everyone needs to get and read um but if you had to think of just two nutritional things two most impactful things in your whole dental diet approach what do you think they would be Okay, so the first one is you, you need to get a fat-soluble rich source of food. Um, and, you know, people are a bit different, so you can kind of pick and choose. But so whether it's grass-raised butter, uh, eggs with the egg yolks, so naturally raised eggs, uh, liver, I really try and get in some way or form. If you don't want to have a liver steak or a liver 
Uh, there's some great recipes for liver in there, but yep. so awesome. organ meats. Yeah, organ meats are a nutrient powerhouse, and they've been eaten for thousands and thousands of years. You, if you can introduce that into your diet, then um, I, I highly, highly recommend doing that because if you don't, um, you're likely missing out on some form. And your know, supplements are helpful, but mm. ultimately, we want to get back to food. Mm. And well, they're much more absorbable when we have it as food too. Yeah, it's, it's, absolutely, because they come with all the other things they're designed to. Mm. Uh, but the other one too is that uh, trying to get away from so the idea of breast meat. So breast meat, we kind of see you know breast meat and a, a dry salad as a healthy meal. Well, you're not going <laughs> to. It just sounds so appealing. <laughs> it does, right? So that's that's what you're kind of like the Jenny Craig or yeah, weight yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what people think you need to eat. To but you you will absorb very very little from that meal because one you don't have the fat with it so the the animal fats and so actually the the nutrient dense parts of animals are the 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 fat included so joints and um we've already mentioned the organs but so those part of the and and also the skin as well so it contains collagen and collagen forms up the building blocks for your gut but also your gums so Mm -hmm. collagen balance is crucial so all of this is what your body needs and we're kind of we've moved away from those Foods and so understanding fat soluble nutrients and the the nutrient dense parts of the animal, uh, you know, in, instead of just thinking this low fat kind of breast milk mm. uh, meat uh, meal is really kind of what we need to move back to. Mm. Great tips. Um, so we're literally starving ourselves of fats when we eat that way, and the fats which we've just talked about, all the good things that they do and help transport um, in terms of the vitamins that they help. Um, us absorb better is is gold like it's it's something we've talked about on the show many times but in terms of um really honing in on how it impacts our our teeth because our teeth are a sign of health in our whole body is is really great to kind of um i don't know just finally get a real clarification on so that's great and and another thing before we finish up that i want to ask you about people might be thinking whoa you're going to start talking about fluoride now that's like a whole nother conversation but i'm going to try and keep it brief because i just want to get your take on something a lot of students who start with golotox um, as the e-course that they first do with us because we have several um some that are on food and and other um um, things like preconception and inflammation and, and looking at um, kids specifically. Um, we we obviously talk about the fluoride subject. I have a great interview with Ron on there and, and we talk about how um, fluoride competes with iodine in terms of having it in your tap water all day, litres and litres of it, um, and how it might be best in terms of the emerging research to not have it in there. And a lot of people completely... Um, agree with that and I always talk about both sides because as we have it right now there are just as many governments for it as against um, and scientific community seems to be pretty much divided on it still too Um, so it's really not about um, I'm not a scientist or a doctor and I don't feel that I can tell people what to do but I just present the idea that um, that um, with the research we're able to get it just doesn't seem right something that people then want to do is move to natural toothpastes and start to sort of say, not everybody, um, and I, I think I know why, and I think we're going to talk about why, but some people say, oh, my gosh, my child is starting to have, like, brown spots in their teeth or 
you know, their, their teeth are yellowing or um, they've got decay. Maybe we should, you know, the dentist tell us we need to switch back to the fluoride. Is the fluoride just a band-aid for a not-so-great diet sometimes, most of the time, all of the time? Tell us. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, the really important thing about fluoride is its context. Mm. And so we are told and we, we see it as prevention. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, unfortunately, the dental um, kind of dialogue has been that, well, you need fluoride to prevent decay. Well, you don't need fluoride to prevent decay. All the things we've talked about today are far, far more important uh, ways to prevent tooth decay. And as soon as you look you know, back, any kind of ancestral point of view, fluoride has not been a significant part or a necessary part of the human diet or input. So fluoride is a modern treatment that we have. Mm. It's all its form. So if it's, if it's in toothpaste, if it's in the dental chair, in the concentrated form, or if it's in water. So mm. treatment always has its side effects, which you've mentioned there, which are, you know, for people, you know, it has different effects on people, uh, and uh, we should always, we always need to take that into account. Mm. Um, so, without, uh, you know, that concept, well, that, that the idea of, um, you know, what fluoride actually is, then we can get very wrapped up, and we don't need it. But so, what if you fluoride actually goes into our tooth enamel, and so you, you take it via water and makes it more resistant to uh, to decay? Mm-hmm. Now, so. That is a very, very small window of of how you prevent decay in your mouth. And I think looking at the potential side effects of fluoride, which everyone should take into account, you know, you should very much look at these other factors first. Look mm-hmm. at them first. And so I think there's some clinical um, application of fluoride in very rampant decay um, in terms of topically. And, uh, but ultimately – we should very much be understanding all the other processes. And once you do that, fluoride becomes a non-event. You don't need fluoride. Mm. And, so, and yeah, and so th- it, just to contextualize toothpaste, uh, fluoride toothpaste is, uh, has the concentration of fluoride that is present in water. Mm-hmm. And so water fluoridation actu- actually is shown or, um, or known to uh, have its benefits uh, via systemic effect. And so you're putting a systemic concentration of fluoride onto your teeth, so you don't get any benefit from fluoride toothpaste anyway. Mm. So that's something. That's why really you should probably forget about fluoride toothpaste, uh, fluoride water. You know, unless if you're taking in all these uh, other great nutrients and foods, you, you don't need fluoride in your water. And concentrated fluoride, if in rampant decay, you know, there's probably some small amounts of um, cases where we can use that to to halt things and try and get. Uh, things under control. Mm, great. And so it really does come back to that diet and making sure we're getting those fat-soluble vitamins and that we're eating lots of healthy fats to get all those nutrients to where they need to go. And um, and, and for me, again, just bringing that piece of the mineral absorption and minerals getting to where they need to go because we're doing all of that right is um, is key. So uh, you've got a you've got a great meal plan in your book, don't you? I think how how many days is it? Yeah, so we go through forty days. Yeah, and um, and so the reason why we, we we take that amount is because I do take I found with my patients that sugar removal is difficult, and yes, so it's okay. kind of like a detox process, right? So we go for a week where we take refined sugars out, and we just have fruit 
Then we do two weeks, completely no fruit as well, so no sugar. Mm-hmm. And then we go back in and we start to reintegrate uh, you know, back into the real world. Yeah. But So you don't have to go zero sugar all your life. But what I found personally and I found with my patients is that if you can take yourself away for two weeks, your body understands what it's like to not have sugar again. Mm-hmm. And you have that context. And all of a sudden, you don't crave sweet foods. You don't crave simple carbohydrates that you do. Things like nutrient-dense butter and eggs and and um, you know veggies cooked in coconut or these kind of things taste very different to you all of a sudden. Mm. And so it's a complete you know reprogramming of your taste buds, of your hormonal responses, your gut. And so I, that's what we walk through in the forty day program. Mm. Awesome. So it's really really helpful, especially for people who are new to all this and need some tools and ideas as they go. So that's great. And where can we get the book? It sounds like um, it sounds like it's even starting to be translated and all sorts of exciting things. Yeah. So it's available here. You can find it in Dimix or on Booktopia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also available on Amazon Australia, but I think Booktopia is the best place to grab that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so it's been uh, released in the US, UK. Uh, it's now out in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, and uh, there's a couple of other. I think uh, Spain and Russia will be coming later this year, and I think Italian as well. How exciting! Um, yeah, so that'll that, that'll be a bit later, but it, yeah, it's all available here, and uh, we're about to kind of um, you know start getting Australia on board, and you know because this is all a, for parents, for anyone that's had dental issues, any health issues, uh, understanding the mouth is key. So I just hope it helps people to kind of plug that bit back into their uh, their health picture. Unbelievable. So great and really awesome to have you on the show and have the, the generosity of spirit that you've shared so much information already and I urge everybody to go out and grab the book um, because it really is super helpful in this time and age of confusion and mixed messages. If you want to get your teeth sorted, we kind of got to get the whole body sorted because they're one and the same, really, all part of the same person. So enjoy and thank you so much, Stephen, for coming on the show and spending some time. Oh, thanks, Alice. It was such a pleasure. And, you know, thank you for all the work you've done because, you know, people really, you know, it, they, these difficult health problems, it's, you know, there, there's lots of answers out there and we just need to join them together and, uh, you know, move forward for a healthier life. Exactly. All about the big picture. Exactly. Well, that's another show done. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Always so much inspiration from our beautiful guests. And I just want to take a minute to say thank you for taking the time to leave a review for our show because it helps us stay visible and helps other people who maybe haven't discovered it yet go, ooh, that looks like it might be worth a look. So if the show has provided value to you, there's nothing you can do to thank me more than to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you access the show from. So what you do is you just search generally in the podcast app. Don't be in the list of shows because you won't be able to leave a review there. So once you've searched generally, you'll see the tile come up and you click on that tile and then a little set of tabs will come up and the middle one is called review. And from there, you can click it, star rate it and leave a review. And I appreciate that so much. Now, if you want to connect with the rest of the Lotox Life community, we're over on Instagram at Lotox Life 
or on the main website where there are a whole bunch of recipes, some incredible e-learning opportunities depending on what your low-tox goals are. And that is www.lowtoxlife.com. And of course, if you want to check out the podcast show notes, you just do forward slash podcast and everything's there. So I look forward to continuing our chats in between shows online in the community. Thank you.